Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. Now, I'm really excited to sit down today because I actually get to sit down and talk to a dear friend, Jill Coleman. And a lot of you online, you already know of her as Jill Fit. She's an expert coach in the areas of mindset and body and business. But today, we're going to pick her brain mostly on business and money mindset. And before we do, I just have to remind you guys that if you are seeking for transformation within, trying to figure out what makes you happy, trying to figure out what your purpose is, feeling like something's missing but not quite sure what that is, that happens at the Bliss Project put on once a year by my amazing life-changing wife. We literally have 500 women from eight different countries coming this year. Now, there's only a handful of tickets left. So it's very important that if you are at all curious, you just go check it out and see if it's a good fit for you or not. And you can do that by going to theblissproject.info. Again, just try it on for size. Go check it out at theblissproject.info. And if it's for you, awesome. Can't wait to see you there. And if it's not, hey, maybe next year. Now, today, I'm going to go through so many cool things with Jill. And because we know each other, it's really easy to know where she's an expert and where I want to pull this expertise out of. Now, one of the things I love about Jill is that she's such a great example of balance, both balance in her life physically and balance in her life from a business standpoint. You know, she's massively successful, yet still seems to have more fun than all the other entrepreneurs I see out there. And so I'm going to ask her how she achieves that balance because it's something I struggle with. And we're going to talk about why that balance is so important and can really become so productive. We're also going to talk about something that both of us have struggled with in the past, and that is how to get over perfectionism. And then we're going to talk all about masterminds, like why business masterminds are so valuable and how the magic actually happens in a business mastermind. Because if you're all considering one, it, this is the episode that'll help paint the picture of how they work, who's a good fit for them. And Jill's even putting together a really cool mastermind that you'll be able to check out. So tune in, get ready. This episode, I promise you, is so good. All right, Jill, I am ridiculously grateful to have you on the show today. How are you? I am good. I'm good. Thanks for making it happen. I'm pumped. Oh my gosh. No, thank you. Especially fitting me in like this. I know you got a lot of travel coming up, so totally yeah, appreciate no it. So speaking of all the travel you have coming up, all the amazing things you're doing, obviously everybody knows you today as this incredible fitness entrepreneur, but there's got to be a pretty good backstory to it. Can you kind of take us back, start wherever you feel you know comfortable starting mm -hmm. and take us on that journey as to how you ended up being one of the leaders in fitness entrepreneurship today. Wow, thank you for that. Um, I don't know if that's true, but I'll take it um, for our purposes. It's, it's been 
been kind of a crazy ride. I don't have uh, like a big, huge transformation like a lot of people do. You know, you hear about people like sleeping on friends' couches and being homeless and uh, or losing 100 pounds. I don't really have one of those kind of big stories. I've just always been interested in fitness. If anything, I've leaned towards more perfectionism, um, which, you know, can manifest in terms of your exercise, nutrition, and kind of being obsessed with that. So as I was growing up, I went to school for exercise science. And once I graduated, I got a job working full-time in fitness. And I loved it. I was actually talking to um, my ex-husband, Jade Tita, who I think you had on the show the other day. And we were just laughing because we, when we met, I was only a year out of college. And we were both making $24,000 that year. And I love that because I was like looking back on that time, we had so much fun together and $24,000 was like plenty at the time. And it was great. And it's just been really cool to see how each one of us has not that it's about money, but you know, the happiness level has kind of been the same regardless of the amount of money. But anyway, it's kind of fun to look back at that. And I always loved working in fitness, loved personal training, loved group fitness instruction. Um, and I got into fitness competitions and back then social media was brand new. My space was hot. Um, Facebook, we weren't able to get on yet because that was for only students at the time. And so once that kind of opened up, I started doing a lot of more fitness modeling, similar to Lori, and uh, just kind of wanting to follow these ego pursuits. I was interested in getting, landing a cover of a magazine. I wanted to get tear sheets. I wanted to be sponsored by a supplement company. I wanted to, you know, work the booth at the Arnold Classic or the Olympia. And I made all of that happen in my 20s. And I got to this point where I was starting to feel really obsessed in my late 20s. I went back to school, got my second degree in nutrition, and I started feeling as like really kind of depressed. I felt like uh, my world, my day-to-day -day was very mundane. I loved my clients, but I felt stuck. I felt super just stifled, and I felt like all I cared about was, does my body look good enough? Do I have a six-pack? You know, am I good enough to get on stage again, or am I good enough to land a magazine? cover and it just started feeling really myopic and I started getting really depressed and it wasn't until I launched my business at the age of 29 when I started reaching out and working with more people across the globe via the blog at jillfit.com and at that point everything changed for me in terms of impact instead of me solely focusing on my body and am I good enough and a lot of my self-worth pouring it into my physique I started looking to am I helping people Am I, you know, am I changing clients' lives? Am I helping them lose weight? Am I helping them overcome their body obsession, their food obsession? And it was about a year and a half into when I launched the blog that I was able to quit my all my work in person and go full-time online. And that was a huge, I was just so grateful to be able to do that. It wasn't comfortable and it wasn't an easy choice, um, you know, because I think we always, we never get to a point where it feels really good to just like quit a job and, and run off. But for me, I was at the point where I still were going to have to take a little bit of a pay cut, but it was something I could handle quit my full-time job and went full-time online. And at that point in my business, I was kind of at a ceiling. And for me, I needed to, and I think it's interesting, especially if you're a fitness professional, I think you assume that you know how to do business if you own a business. And that's not the case. And I found that out very quickly was my skill set was fitness and nutrition. I knew those things. And I figured out really quickly that if I wanted to grow a business, I had to become a businesswoman. And so at that time, I stopped reading fitness, I stopped reading nutrition, and I poured myself into online courses. I learned about marketing, I learned about sales copy, I learned about um, you know webinar training, anything you can think of. I went to courses, I went to in-person events, I read books on it, um, and completely immersed myself in that. And that's the first year that I launched my business coaching program, which is called The Best of You. And that's been around for six years now. And of course, the internet space is constantly changing, but it's given me an outlet to help a lot of women who were where I was working at the grind, working in fitness full time, 70 to 80 hours a week and help them move their businesses online and eventually get there 100% of the time.
Wow, that's that's a pretty good <laughs> job. That's a great download. So you said something that I actually want to circle back to. You said, oh, I don't have this great big story where I overcame something huge, et cetera. But you said <laughs> maybe perfectionism. So I loved hearing this because sure. that's me. I don't have this massive obesity to fit story or this massive, I guess, Lori and I have kind of a, a success to broke to success story, but nothing that is really going to pull any tears from anybody. And right. sometimes you can feel like, I don't want to say you're missing out that you want that type of story, but everybody else seems to have this dramatic comeback story that catches everyone's attention. And it feels like it's easier to lead with that. But what people don't realize is perfectionism is a real pain in the ass. Like it's a big thing <laughs> to overcome. So has it held you back ever? And if so, how'd you kind of break through that? Yeah. You know, it's really interesting that you mentioned that. And I think, you know, for, I think everyone almost has a little bit of perfectionist in them, whether it manifests in the way that they want to look specifically or the grades that they want to get when they're in school or the kind of friends that they want to have or the kind of status that they want to achieve or the kind of car they want to drive. Like we're all looking for that thing that makes us feel good enough. Um, and that can manifest in a lot of different ways. And it's funny because a lot of my kind of struggles around body image and body obsession started manifesting in my business. And I had to kind of pull myself back. I was like, how many likes, how many shares, how many comments, how many followers? Like I had to really, um, pull back on that because I did find that it was becoming debilitating that perfectionism was actually starting to hold me back because I was so scared of, uh, trying to follow a plan that I thought success looked like and the freedom came for me in the, uh, I read this book actually, it was in 2008, uh, I'm sorry, it was 2010 and it was called Inbound Marketing. Inbound Marketing uh, by put out by a couple of guys who own a company called HubSpot and the idea behind inbound marketing or attraction marketing is that you put out content that you believe helps people and the people who it helps come and they, you know, they read your stuff and they download your things and they add themselves to your email list. And if they like it, they stay. And if they don't, they go. And I felt a lot of freedom in that. I felt a lot of freedom in this ability to be discerning on the customer's end. So for me, authenticity was the thing. And that drawing the line in the sand was the thing that helped the right people stay and the, the people who didn't like the content go. And there's a lot of freedom in just allowing for that to happen. So for me, when I started blogging and I was starting to get a, a big readership, a really strong readership, and then other people were like, hey, I just love, I hate your stuff. It's not for me or, you know, or they'd unsubscribe or whatever. And it was actually turning it around and saying, I actually like when that happens instead of what did I do wrong? What, what did I say on that email? What I went back to that email and I made sure I read through it and what could have possibly turned someone off? And you and I both know that that's a losing game. And so it was really this idea of, I'm not going to be for anyone, everyone, but for the people I'm for, I'm going to really deliver the best value for them. And this is kind of abundance mindset of who stays, stays and who goes, leaves, and it's perfect. And there's enough space for everybody. That's that was really the biggest thing. Huge that you mentioned that because that is what holds so many people back. You know, I still watch you know, even to this day, I'll watch Lori get bent out of shape a little bit over a sure. stranger's comment. And I will get <laughs> bent out of shape a little bit sure. over a stranger's comment. Like, it not, I don't think it ever fully goes away. But as soon as you have that release of I'm supposed to be for half the people out there and the other half, I'm literally not supposed to be for. So who cares? I think that's a huge release. Yeah. And it is, you know, it takes a lot of practice because, of course, I work with women right now who are like very much like in their very first year of business, second year of business, third year. And you're going to get those emotional hits for a while. And I certainly did. And, of course, you still get that, you know, for a couple of minutes now. It's probably gotten down to like a couple of minutes where I spend I'm like, oh, I wonder what that woman was talking about. Or I wonder. But I don't dive into it anymore. And I don't engage. For me, I engage actually with more like just understanding and grace. I actually don't worry about 
um, you know, what did I do wrong or how did I turn this person off or how am I going to change the results? I'm, I'm willing to take coaching and feedback, but it has to be from a source that I trust, right? So if it's a stranger on the internet and they're, for example, this happened two days ago and this happens all the time. Uh, someone just said, I really love your workouts, but I have a really hard time with your Instagram. Like that was a comment on Instagram post. <laughs> and so instead of being like, well, what do you have a hard time about it? And what do you, you know, instead of even just engaging in that way, I said, no problem. Totally get it. The best thing about social media is that we can follow and unfollow whoever we want. Like, and I was just like smiley face, like not even in a passive aggressive way, but just like in a, it's totally fine. It's cool. I wrote like no stress girl and whatever. And it was just in a, a couple of my coaching clients saw that and they were just like, that's so cool to be able to see you just kind of handle it with grace and stuff. And then, you know, I, I'm like on to the next thing. And so I think if you can just meet someone where they are and not take it personally at that point, now you're just like, you know what? I get, I can say what I can do, whatever. And perfectionism is, uh, you said it's a pain in the ass and it's exactly right. And it makes people quit so quickly when you have that authenticity. That's what brings me joy getting to wake up in the morning and create whatever I want off the top of my head. If I didn't have that permission and, that, and I didn't feel that freedom, I might as well just go work for someone else. Yeah, that's a great point. And you know what's funny? On this subject, I almost start to feel like when you, you first start putting yourself out there, all you have is your friends as your fans. So you don't get any bad mm -hmm. feedback. When you start getting mm -hmm. the trolls and, and the comments, you're like, wait a minute, you just told me you don't like something I did? What are you talking <laughs> about? I feel yeah. like that's the first sign that you're finally reaching a new audience, which is the whole idea of growing a business. And so it's a, it's a good thing, ironically, when you start seeing some of those comments. And you want to have some polarization, don't you, Chris? I mean, like you want to have some people who are like, Oh my God, that's like, Joe's my number one. She's always the person who's, I read everything she puts out and that the trust is so strong with that versus someone who never draws a line in the sand and they kind of keep everyone, like we all know those people, like we all know who they are, but we don't really know exactly what they do. We're like, oh yeah, so, so they're, they're fine. They're cool. Like there's no, like, they're just so good at this or they're so amazing at this, or you know what? They just turn me off. I mean, there's some people in the industry that like, we just don't jive and that's totally fine. But, but the fact that they even get a response, I think is important. If someone's like, oh my God, I can't stand how that person, or, you know, it's just not my jam. Having that response means that you are touching because for, for every person that maybe you turn off, there's 20 people who are doubled down even more strongly with you and your message and stuff like that. So I think you have to, again, get some wins under your belt. And, and like, to your point, you have to get out of that small circle of family and friends. And, and also, by the way, if your family and friends are showing up and asking you for a meal plan or a workout program, that's a customer, right? Like that's a person that you can help. So when you're first getting started, you don't have any, no one else knows you. So it's okay for, I have a lot of my girls say, well, only people I know signed up. And I'm like, great, serve them, right? Cause then it'll be eventually be a stranger. We'll sign up for your email newsletter. And then a handful of strangers and then 50 strangers and then a thousand strangers. So to your point, I think embrace anyone who's reaching out to you. I don't care if it's a friend from uh, junior high school who just found you on Facebook or someone you worked with at three jobs ago. If they're reaching out for help or they're sending you a DM, uh, you know, embrace that. It doesn't matter if they're a family member, friend or whatever. I think uh, a lot of people kind of underestimate that, but it's really important. Totally agree. I love that. So you said something else I want to go back and touch on. You said you took a pay cut when you yep. stopped working with people in person in order to move your entire business online. Did I hear that right? That's correct. All right. So I'm so glad you said that because the majority of my audience obviously are aspiring entrepreneurs. And one of the biggest things that holds them back is they're afraid to take a couple steps backwards in order to get a running start. So sure. were you a hundred percent sure? Like, Oh, I'm going to take a pay cut. I could care less. Or did you struggle over that? No, I struggled tremendously. Um, I think a lot of people who work, especially if you're in the service industry, like I was personal training, 
Um, we're, we, we run around with the scarcity mindset a lot of times. We think our clients are going to leave us every second. Like we are, we're constantly worried. If you've ever worked in the gym business, you know that people are worried their clients are going to go somewhere else. Gym owners are worried that their participants, that their you know members are leaving. It's like this constant scarcity mindset. And for me, I had this huge aha moment. Um, I ran around just saying yes to everyone. Sure, whatever money you have, I'll take. It was I had no discernment. I I didn't value my worth at all. And I had a moment. It was back in I think about 2009, 2010. It was right after I had read the Four Hour Work Week actually, and uh, by Tim Ferriss. And I was driving across town. It was eight o'clock at night on Friday. And I was driving all the way across town for one client who was going to pay me $15. Whoa. And all my friends and family were out to dinner. They were having doing weekend stuff. And I had this moment of like, what am I doing? Like, why did I, how did I get to this place? How did I get to a point where I would agree to do this for 15 bucks? And it just, and after that, um, I went to my boss, actually my full-time boss at the time. And I, I actually offered to take a pay cut for my full-time gig to have a couple afternoons a week off so I could work on my online business. And he was super gracious. I went to him with a couple of other ideas. And the biggest change for me, Chris, came when I started choosing time over money. And that just became my role. I, if I was able to, if a client quit or moved away, I did not, I didn't try and find another client. I used that time to leverage and create things online. I love that. Choosing, scary. Yeah, very scary. But I love how you phrased choose, when I started choosing time over money. You know, it kind of steers me to something I, I'm really excited to ask you about, and that is you're known for balance. Like your entire brand now preaches balance, 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 yep. both physically and then also in the business world. Well, I struggle yep. with balance sure. in business. Um, how do you seem to travel all over? I see you, you know, having your wine and, and, you know, having this epic fun life and yet find so much time to do so well in business and not to mention be ripped every time I see you. Uh, well, you know, it ebbs and flows, and thank you for saying that. You know, um, one thing that gets missed a lot, and I do think it's important to to mention this kind of as an asterisk, is once you have, like, once you do become more successful financially, you are able to leverage your time even better. So for example, you know, when I was taking on my first team member, I was like, what's the thing, what's the lowest hanging fruit that I'm spending so much time and mental energy doing? And it was email. I didn't care. I hired someone or I actually started doing a trade with somebody so they could take care of my email account for me, my JillFit email. Cause it was just, I wasn't getting back to people. And every time I thought of it, it gave me all this anxiety. So when, once I be, was able to kind of hire someone to do some of these things and I'm very, anyone who knows me is I'm very like autonomy, like uh, very automated in the things that I do. I don't cook any food. I don't food prep. So I use like delivery services here in Los Angeles. I go to Whole Foods and get salads. I go to eat like, you know, go out to eat a lot. Um, so I don't, I have someone who comes in and cleans my house every week. So I don't do any cooking, don't do any cleaning. And by the way, you know, I was doing that before I even, you know, kind of got to the level that I'm at now. I remember when I had uh, the opportunity to hire someone for cleaning, it was 50 bucks and she was going to come twice a month. And I was like, how can I make a hundred dollars this month? Like, that's it. How can I online, if I'm getting back five hours of my, of my life every month, how can I use that five hours to make a hundred dollars? And by doing so, I can have someone clean my house so I don't have to dread it. It's not just the time cleaning the house. It's the, the time we dread doing it. Right. And all the food prep and spending Sunday doing that. Um, so everything in my life is fairly automated at this point. So I only focus on the things that are the biggest dial movers for my business. I don't spend a lot of time doing things that I'm not good at, like cooking and cleaning and, you know, calling. If anyone knows me, I'm terrible at logistics. 
So my assistant does all that stuff. And you know what? If my assistant can't do it, a lot of it doesn't get done, by the way. So I think that you have to be discerning in just knowing what you're good at and playing to your strengths and then just simply doing your best with the rest of it. You know, anyone who knows me knows that I don't, like I'm not good at, I don't know, if I order some clothes offline and it doesn't fit, like it takes me months to like actually put it back in the mail to send it back. Like I'm just terrible at those kind of little things, but I'm okay with those not getting done if I'm taking care of the big stuff that really moves the dial for me. So does that make sense in terms of like once you kind of get to a little bit more success, it's kind of cool in a way, but it does open up more time to do more stuff and to give back and to volunteer and just do anything else that you want, but you have to get to that. And by the way, at the beginning, I totally overloaded myself. And I think that's important to mention that when you're first getting started in your first year or two business, like you're going to be overloaded because you're trying to work full time. You're trying to work at the gym and you're also trying to build your online business. I was writing blogs at 1 a.m. I was writing client meal plans at 1 a.m. So I think it's okay to know that that's going to be transient if you have your eye towards continuing to educate yourself and to continue to leverage your time. So I think it's okay, and I think that you have to start out that way, and then over time you start to, again, choose time over money. So how did, how did you know when it was time to start delegating in order to leverage your time, you know, instead of staying up to 1 a.m. to write your blogs and all that stuff? Because I feel like people wait too yeah. long quite honestly, sure. to start delegating stuff and getting rid of those non-income producing activities. How'd you know it was time? Yeah, well, it goes back to the perfectionist thing, right? No one could do it as well as I do. Yep. So we're, I'm a little bit scared to give something away. Um, so it is kind of starting to get over some of your control freakness or your, you know, uh, your type A-ness. For me, that was tough. Um, I think that I knew it was time to bring someone on when it wasn't getting done and it looked like it was a bad look. So for me, having hiring an assistant to do all the logistical stuff that just was simply not getting done. Cause I kept telling myself, I'm going to do it this week. I'm going to do it this week. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, respond back to all those emails this week. And I kept not doing it. And I was like, this is terrible for business. The fact that these people are not getting a response is terrible. What do I need to do to bring someone on? My first quote assistant was actually my mom. She had just retired. And I was like, Hey, do you mind? Like she just did her best, right? And it was better than me not answering them. So she was on for about six months. And then my next assistant was someone I knew and trusted. And we did a trade. I was, I did coaching calls with her and she took care of my emails. And was someone I trusted. And then about six months after that was when I hired, you know, my actual full-time assistant. So I hear what you're saying. And I think it's important to um, hire up, but also think about where you are in your business. I think I had a lot of, I could do it myself. I'll figure it out myself. For a long time and it wasn't until two years into my business that I, I was totally stuck and totally maxed out on time i had five other coaches working for me and we were all maxed out no one wanted to take any additional clients so there was a ceiling to how many one-on-one -on -one training clients at one point we, were, we had 100 people at one time in our doing one-on-one -on -one customized nutrition and coaching and we were all maxed out and so that at that point i actually hired my first business coach and it was $10,000 uh, and I was scared shitless. I didn't have the money at the time. I actually launched my first coaching program in order to pay for it. And it was a huge risk at the time. But at that point I started creating products and services that leveraged that made money while quote made money while I slept. So I didn't need to actually physically be there to write a plan for somebody. I love that you hired a coach before you felt like you had could money. Yeah, totally. pay for it. I, it. I feel like that's so important for people to do because they don't understand that the investment comes first, then all the windfall yep. comes after that. So obviously it was scary for you to part with that money. How did you convince yourself to do so? Actually, you know, it's funny. It wasn't that scary because I didn't have the money in the first place. So when I made it, I was just like, I felt rich. You know what I mean? So here's what happened. This is a funny story, but 
um, I, like I said, I was a cellular business and I looked around the industry and I was like, who is, who has the lifestyle that I want? Who's doing the things that I want maybe my life to look like in five years. And I reached out to this woman at the time she had a couple, you know, books. She was an author. She had called bestseller. She had a column in women's health. Uh, and she had a successful coaching business. And I reached out to her and I said, Hey, I don't know if you do coaching, but, um, you know, I'd love to do coaching calls with you. So she responded back and said, Hey, sure. No problem. It's $375 for 30 minutes. And I was like, my, my job was just on the floor. Like, how can you charge $375 for 30 minutes of your time? I was like, I can't afford that right in my head. I can't afford that immediately. And then I was like, you know what? If I can get one idea that makes me $376, then it was worth it. Right? So I got the money, paid her, we got on the phone, we did 30 minutes and then it was really useful. And at the end she pitched me on her year long mentorship and that was $10,000. Uh, and of course, you know, my response, I can't afford that. I don't have that money. Thanks. Thanks. But no, thanks. I'll talk to you later. Put the phone down and sat around for a couple. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and actually to Jade's credit, he was just like, we got to figure this out. Like you need to do this. We have to figure this out somehow. And so I said, okay, let me see. You know what? I don't know everything there is to know about business, but I maxed out. My business is already making six figures, uh, and within a year and a half. How can I maybe just teach what I know? I didn't know everything, but I knew something. I could teach someone to do what I'd done. So that's when I launched Best of You for the first time. And I convinced 14 women to give me $100 a month and for a year. And I felt rich. I, didn't, I hadn't had that money yet. So when I got it, I immediately just gave it right to my coach. So I didn't even, it wasn't even scary to lose it. I was just like, okay, now I'm on the hook for this for the year, uh, this work that I got to do. And at that point, it was that just became my religion in a sense, spend money, invest in myself. And it always came, has always come back to me tenfold, either in, um, an insight or a teaching tool, or even just a lesson, right? Like maybe I'm like, okay, that's a lesson to me to not spend that money ever again, but on that, on that thing, or I don't want to actually do that or whatever it is. And it's always been worth it to me. Even just the mindset shift of spending the money. I think Chris totally catapulted me into the next level in terms of my business success. God, you are so right on with all that. I love it. You're going to get so many people to realize that they have to invest before they feel like they're ready just by that entire segment you just talked about right there. <laughs> Speaking of spending money on coaching or forms of coaching, you're Sorry. a huge believer, and I think you even run several masterminds. Am I right? Yeah, I do. I have one for first years and then one for more advanced. Okay, cool. Internets, peoples. Tell us about masterminds. Why are they so effective? Sure. Yeah. So actually my first mastermind was this year. I've done a mentorship for the last six years and it's always been pretty big. I've always had anywhere between, so the first year at 14, uh, women. And after that, it's grown exponentially last year. I had 115 women in last year. Um, and so this past year I said, you know what? I, I really like the idea. It had just grown so much that I wasn't able to give as much one-on-one -on -one time to people that I wanted to. And I was noticing that the results that they were getting weren't what I wanted. Uh, or in terms of like, I felt like they, they weren't getting what I really thought they needed. So I actually scaled back this past year, actually increased my prices significantly and did two things. I still ran out my signature program for first years, um, and increased the price on those. Those groups are now smaller, but they get more face time with me to come to LA, spend a day with me. Um, you know, we have a bunch of different mastermind in-person events throughout the year. We do phone calls every month, et cetera. And then I also had this high level mastermind. Um, super pumped about this. And it's only for women who had been with me for at least a year, if not two years. Um, and I have 13 women in that and we meet five times a year. So for two days we get in, uh, Lori actually spoke at one of my events in last, uh, April and she was awesome. And 
basically we just get in, we do a ton of brainstorming, FaceTime, we're all like so tight. We get on the phone every two weeks, they check in with me, there's a ton of accountability. And now they're all promoting each other. There's a lot of affiliation going on. There's a lot of partnerships going on. There's a lot of in-person events that they're doing on their own. Last, a couple of months ago, we did an event in LA all together. So I was able to showcase them as speakers. So I put on my own event and I brought them in as speakers, which is really cool. But I decided that I really wanted to be part of helping someone build their platform and using my platform to do that by saying, by vouching for a small group of women who I knew were putting out quality programs because I had been with them since day one. And they were all kind of lifting each other up. But the number of the amount of action that's been taken is the huge differentiator. If anyone's been in a mastermind in a small one, especially, you know, that the action is like double time. The results are double time. The income results are double time, like revenue. Like everyone is just uh, on it because that's the atmosphere that we're bringing to the group is we're only as strong as our weakest link. So everyone is rising to the occasion and, and getting so much more done and having so much more success. So yeah, I'm probably going to do it again next year and make it probably cap it at 20 people next year. I was just going to ask you, like, what's the size? What's the perfect size for a mastermind to be effective, do you think? You know what? I'm at a good size right now. I've actually I launched it with 11, and I've added a couple people, and I've been doing just applications and getting on the call with people if it's a good fit. Uh, but for next year, I'm going to open it up again. I'll do probably a lot of interviews and then uh, open it up to at least 20 people so by invitation only. Coaching all these people online, coaching all these people at Masterminds, what trends are you seeing when it comes to money mindset? Yeah. We talk a lot about that on this podcast. Yeah, money mindset. You know, I I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in that at all. I mean, of course, I have my own beliefs and the only ways that I've done it. Um, for me, it does come down to a couple of things. It comes down to abundance and seeing, well, I'm sure you've talked about this a million times, but in terms of seeing that there's enough for everyone, because it can feel really small. And you know this, Chris, like we're, we kind of all know the same people and it can feel really small or can feel like you're kind of having to, uh, you know, where we're the customers is a finite amount, but there really aren't. And everyone's giving away so much stuff for free. It's noisier than ever. And yet people are still bringing in new customers. People are still buying. There's a ton of more opportunities now. People are less, uh, people are way more interested in doing online coaching. You know, even just five years ago, they were, people still weren't like, didn't like online coaching or they didn't like that. And so now it's just way more accepted. Uh, it's way more commonplace. Um, also we have a bunch of different platforms that we never had before, right? When, when I was getting started, there was no Instagram, there's no Pinterest. YouTube was just getting started. Um, and things are totally shifting. So in terms of money mindset, I think abundance of course is number one. Number two is authenticity. You have to look at it. Like everything that you're putting out on the internet is either, is either bringing someone in and making them trust you more or it's turning someone off. And I think that like very clear way of drawing a line in the sand and having a message that is polarizing enough to get people to have an opinion is extremely powerful. And to me, it all comes down to knowing that there's enough, whether it doesn't mean that there's even enough money, it could be success, clients, happiness, uh, all those kind of things and really feeling that. And what I found is your actions really help you reinforce that. So for example, you know, um, being super generous with your money to me, that is the more I know that the more I spend, the more I bring in. Um, and just knowing that you can always, I have a lot of, okay, so I'll give you an example. A lot of my clients are buying, you know, when you first get into internet business, you have to buy a lot of software. You buy like a webinar software and you have to buy uh, an email auto responder software. And you have to buy all these kind of different platforms for lead pages. And something like lead pages is a great service and I recommend it, but it's like 29 bucks a month. And some of my girls will say, uh, is there any alternative? I, I really don't want to put out 29 bucks a month. And I'm kind of going in my head, like I can understand that because a lot of times you are, you're living paid to paycheck to paycheck. But if you're starting an online business, there's going to be a certain level of 
expenses every month that you're just going to have to put in these things that you kind of need. So instead of looking at it like, oh, I don't want to put that money out, instead of saying, and having to use these workarounds that might take more energy and more time, how can you go, how can I make 29 bucks this month? That's like, you know, getting one new client or putting out a $10 recipe book and, and literally selling three of them to your Facebook friends every month. You know what I mean? So looking at it that way and really turning it to there's plenty and also seeing it as a marathon too, instead of a sprint. What I see a lot of times with people coming out of the gate is they're very urgent. They're very impatient. They're very urgent. And that's just not going to be sustainable. Your passion is not like blazing hot every second, right? It's going to be kind of cool. It's going to have ebbs and it's going to have flows, but you have to stick with it. That consistency piece and just realizing there's going to be ups and downs that on some level you have to enjoy this stuff. If you don't enjoy it, you're definitely not going to keep going with it. So that compliance piece. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of different things, but I think it, you, once you kind of get over your first year, you're like, okay, I can see how I can relax into this now a little bit more. So sticking with money mindset, you said something that totally intrigued me before, and I just want to set up the, the stage real quick. Obviously sure. now you are crushing it financially, but you said that when you and Jade were first out of school, you were making 24 grand each or 28 grand each. I forget the number. 24,000 a year. Okay. $24,000 a year. And that you had the same level of happiness back then as you do now. Did I hear that right? Or did I hear that wrong? Sure. Okay. So yeah. how yeah, is your did. own journey I mean, with money mindset? You, then? Yep. Yeah. So I love this question. You know, it's so interesting because, um, the difference was yes. Happiness level was the same. The difference was stress level. So, you know, waking up in the middle of the night and making sure that you could make your bills every month and like doing mental calculations in your head. And I think that's normal. And so at that level, of course, but nothing changed in terms of like things, like little things. Like we couldn't go out to dinner every time we wanted to. We couldn't go on vacation or we couldn't book a trip, you know, or whatever. Anytime we wanted to, we had to plan a little bit more. So I think maybe the stress was a little, the stress level was different, but the happiness and joy in what we were doing is the same. Um, and so my own personal, you know what, I didn't really have all that many hangups except for like kind of the scarcity stuff that we talked about. I haven't had too, too many hangups for me. I've always, uh, really prioritized the work over the money and have trusted that the money will come the more I enjoy what I'm doing. Cause that's the thing. If I enjoy what I'm doing and I enjoy what I'm putting out, I'm going to do more of it. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing the things necessary to grow my message and to evolve my message and to bring people on the journey and add more value and all that kind of stuff. And so if I'm involved in prioritizing the message, the money comes. And that's not to say that, if, of course, I've had blunders where I put out products and it was kind of like a dud or, you know, I put out something that wasn't exact, that didn't really exactly hit and it took me a long time to learn how to write marketing copy and all those kind of things. Um, but I always kind of was just had this resiliency of like, this is a marketing problem, not like I'm not good enough problem. So for me, I'm like, okay, I didn't sell as well. Great. Back to the drawing board. doesn't mean we scrapped the whole thing. It just means like, what needs to change? What can I get better at? Where did we misstep? And looking at it from that perspective has always served me in terms of being able to make more money. But for me, I think it's always prioritizing the work first. I know it sounds so cliche, but it's so true. No, it, it is so true because people get hung up on the money instead of getting hung up on the quantity and the quality of work they're putting in and knowing that the money is nothing more than a side effect, right? Totally. Yeah. I love it. So it's what crazy. role has generosity played in your success? Because you've used the word generosity a few times now. What role has generosity played in your success? You know, I think it is, it's hard because, you know, I don't think that generosity is a luxury, but at the same time, it feels that way, especially if you're coming from more of a scarcity mindset, right? You're like, well, I need this 
money, you know, or you don't, you don't feel as comfortable giving it away because you're scared that you're going to lose it or, or it's going to go away. So I've noticed obviously like the more money that I have made, the more I've given. And for me giving without, I've, I've done little stuff, especially when I was not making that much money was, you know, just like giving my time. That was the biggest thing that I could give. I didn't really give as much money as I could have because I just was giving time and I was giving, you know, thoughtful and gifts and things like that. For me now, I, I definitely, uh, prioritize giving money in a way and, and not just to like, don't, not just to charities and things like that and to causes, but also to family and friends who need it. Like to me, uh, it all comes down to giving without expectation. And that's, you know, I think that's kind of hard at first to learn. And for me, generosity is about giving the things that I can, the gifts that I can. And if I'm able to give financially to me, that's super important. If I can give time, if I can give expertise, I've had a lot of friends that I've just kind of like took along the ride for like when they're growing their business, I'm like, Hey, let's sit down, let's grab coffee. Let's do this. Let's do that. Um, and go through some of this stuff. So for me, generosity is key because it's, it needs to be about more than just what I'm doing, what I'm making, what I'm the success that I'm having. It needs, to, it can't, if it's not shared, it's not, it doesn't feel as valuable to me and as impactful. Oh my God. Yes. Lori and I talk about that all the time. Like nothing has any value until shared. And you totally. can give me any scenario and, and, and I can prove that true every single time. I love it. Exactly. So I'm going to actually take it a step further for you, stick with generosity. And sure. I do this fun little segment called two minutes of bragging. And it's really just meant <laughs> to inspire everyone else to give a little bit more than they do right now. So whether it's time or money or a cause, whatever, what's one of your favorite moments of giving that you've ever had or done? Uh, you know, it's so interesting because there's so many different ways to give. Obviously you can give your time, you can give of money. I think, you know, obviously giving my time is extremely important to me, but I, I do feel the most impactful and really just the most fulfilled and rewarded when I give in more private ways. Cause I have causes that I give to every month and things like that. But the, the thing that really means the most to me is being able to help out close family and friends. Um, and I'm not always able to do it or, you know, it's not a situation that I would feel comfortable engaging, but for people who are extremely close to me, um, it, when they allow for me to help them in a certain way and the power in them being able to receive it is the most important thing to me because, you know, as family and friends or like close acquaintances, sometimes it can be a little scary. You don't want to be on the hook. I know personally, I'm not, I don't really enjoy all the time. Uh, I struggle with reception because I'm scared that at some point someone's going to be resentful or it's going to be hung over my head or, you know, those kind of things. So when, you know, some of the people closest to me, if they're really, if they're struggling or they, you know, need some help or whatever, and I'm able to provide that and they're able to receive it openly and trust me and trust what I say and take everything at face value. To me, that really deepens our connection. It doesn't need to be money. It could be time, it could be emotional uh, bandwidth, whatever that trade is. And, you know, at some point I'm going to probably ask them for one of those things. So to me, it, it really deepens the connection that I feel like that we have with them and that I have with them. And it really is probably my most proud and definitely my most fulfilling way of giving. That's incredible. What a great way to deepen that bond with the people you're closest to than being able to give to them. And there's a very fine line there, right? Not be used by them, but to be able to give them and feel great about it and have them feel good about receiving too. Yeah, I think it's important to, and I love that you said that because I do think there's an important like kind of self-discovery that needs to happen first, like asking yourself and kind of going through, I, I've never like kind of given out of guilt or given out of anything other than just like wanting to help, whether that's again, time, money, emotional bandwidth, whatever, but I'm very keen because it's happened to me in the past where I've ended up resentful and I've overextended myself. And so for me, in my mind, if someone needs help, it's 100% my responsibility to know if I have the resources, whether that's time, money, energy, whatever, 
offer to be able to give to them. And if I don't have it, it's also my responsibility to state that clearly. And so I think for me, it's about owning that choice. And if I do decide to give in whatever manner, I have to know that there's a good chance that it's never, maybe never going to come back to me. And, and it needs to be from a place of 100% generosity uh, with zero conditions, zero strings, unless there's some sort of pre you know, uh, designed arrangement. But for me, I always give from a place of abundance without kind of expecting. And if I'm not in that space, and I've certainly not been in that space at times, if I'm not in that space, then I just am not able to provide at that moment, whatever it's time, space, money, etc. I love it. Totally agree. So before I ask you one last signature question, I've got to ask you, you know, everyone's going to want to connect with you, find out about your programs, all that stuff. Where can we find you? And what's something that's exciting that's coming up for you? Ooh, always my favorite question. Yeah. You know, it's really amazing because there's always something coming up, isn't there? It's always like an event or something like it's the coolest thing about having these kind of businesses in my mind is that we do get to create stuff. So whenever someone's kind of like complaining about how busy they are, you know, for me, it's always like, but we created that. So you can complain and then the next breath be like, but I'm so grateful that I get to do this. And then I get to create the schedule of all these things that are happening. I'm the, I take responsibility for saying yes and doing whatever. But, uh, my biggest program is called best of you. It's a year long business mentorship for women in the health and fitness space. So it, for women who are grinding at the gym, maybe they're health coaches, maybe they are uh, nutrition consultants. I have, I work with some physicians, uh, who, anyone who's kind of seeing people across the desk or in the gym and kind of grinding that kind of FaceTime and service. Um, and I help them build their online platform. So it's a year long mentorship. It's a pretty big investment in terms of time, considerable investment uh, financially as well. But the amazing group that we have is really special and it's by application only. And that's all happening in November, but I'm actually uh, doing a wait list right now. So my wait list is open and I'm going to be feeding that list with some great online business content so people can get started right now. Best of you. That sounds really cool. I got to ask, who's your perfect person that should be applying for that? And then who's somebody who should not be applying for that? Yeah, it's such a great question. Um, one of the most important things about the group is that we're only as good as the weakest link. So for me, and when I say weakest link, I don't mean that someone's bad or that, you know, they don't have the best intentions. But for me, I'm all about action. Anyone who knows me is I'm always prioritizing the messiest action over the most perfect inaction. So for me, I'm looking for people who are willing to do things that make them uncomfortable. We know whether it's building a business, whether it's building a body, whether it's building a relationship, at some point there's going to be something that is going to feel uncertain. It's going to feel scary. It's going to feel awkward. It's going to feel, you know, all these kind of things that's going to make us feel nervous. I'm looking for people who are ready for that know that that's the case and are willing to put themselves on the hook with me and the other women in the group to do those things. And so it, it's never going to feel easy, but I'm looking for people who know that that's going to be the case. If you are someone who wants to be able to, and so that's kind of who it's for, who it's not for is someone who, and this is all just more like energetic stuff. We have a very, very super intimate, super tight community. So for me, it's really important that everyone's mindset is in the right place getting into the group. And I know Chris, you've been in mastermind stuff too. Uh, it so impacts the energy of the group, whether we're all moving forward together or we're stagnant. Um, so that's why the, the things I'm looking for, I'm not looking for so much how much money you're making or any of those kind of things. I'm more looking for what's your attitude and are you ready to take radical responsibility to make this happen for yourself? Um, someone who it's not for is, and this is a little bit kind of scary to say in a way, but you have to know that this is going to be a priority. So if you're like, hey, like if you kind of are just dabbling and you're a little bit like, well, maybe I'll see what it's all about. Uh, it's probably not for you. Maybe it'll be for you in a couple of years or, uh, or after you're doing kind of whatever you're doing now. But for example, if you 
you know, just there's different priorities. Building a business is kind of a full-time job. It kind of needs to be your baby. It doesn't mean you can't do it on the side of doing something else, but I really do encourage everyone who is applying to know that they're going to treat this like it's already a viable business before it actually is, because that's the thing. You can't wait to get the money to then treat it like that. You can't wait to get the impact then treat it like that. You can't wait to get the fans or the followers of the platform before treating it like that. You have to be ready out the gate to do, to treat it as if it's a full-time job without getting that kind of income quite yet. So um, if you're someone who's kind of just dabbling and is kind of like, oh, maybe I'll check it out or on the fence, it's definitely a no. Very cool. And we'll put it in the show notes, but where do they find that again? Uh, any of my social media channels, you can find a link to join the waitlist right now. Um, or you can go to bit.ly, bit.ly forward slash JF underscore boy 2018. So it's just a short link. We will put a link in the show notes because that's way easier than what you just said. <laughs> I, know, I was like, I have two links and like, they're both really confusing, but if you guys follow on social, it's just still fit on any of the social media platforms. I'm talking about it like crazy. And I, I don't really talk anything that I'm doing right now is what I'm talking about. I'm not promoting a whole bunch of stuff at once. So this is the main focus of the fall. And if you're just thinking about this might be for you, the best thing to do is to get on the wait list because it's a free service. And over the next 12 weeks, I'm going to be sending along a ton of free stuff. And so you, if you're, if you are undecided, you can figure out if it's going to be something that you're interested in pursuing more, or it's just not for you. Very cool. Very cool that you're doing that. So last question, signature question, and, and I love the diversity of answers I get, but it is this. Why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of wealth and or success? Uh, that is such a good question, and I never thought about it that way, actually. Um, I think that it's important to be unapologetic because of the leverage that it gives you. Uh, for me, I'm the most generous I've ever been in my entire life because I'm coming from a place of abundance. I feel like the more money that I invest into myself and to others and to experiences, the more I get it back tenfold. So for me, you know, being generous is about, again, being discerning with your generosity and knowing what, and being kind of uh, just discerning about where you want to put it. But at the same time, it does give you much more leverage and it continues to hone and make that abundance mindset, that operating system much bigger. So being unapologetic about it is really cool because you get to be an example to someone around you. If you have family members or friends who are kind of operating in scarcity and you're like, hey, let's go, you know, this weekend to uh, let's go up to the mountains and let's I'll, I'll treat us to, you know, I'll pay for dinner. Or I'll, you know, I'll get us like a couple of massages. It'll be cool. Even if it's a little bit scary to put your like kind of money out there that way. I have found that anytime I've been able to provide that or do that or put, even put myself on that limb at the time, it feels really risky to do that. It's always come back to me tenfold because it, it continues to hone the, the abundance mindset that there's plenty more where that came from. Jill, I absolutely love it. And I, I just want to say thank you so much for spending so much time with us and dropping so many little tidbits of knowledge. You had so many good one-liners in there. I know this is definitely going to be one of the favorite <laughs> episodes. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's actually, thank you for getting me like a little uncomfortable. I'm very comfortable talking money when it comes to like internet business, but talking about, uh, you know, generosity and stuff got me a little out of my comfort zone. So I appreciate it. Ah, that's good. See, that's the whole <laughs> purpose of this podcast and you help do that for everybody else. So thank you, Jill. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds 
and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.